We are, uh, we're going to start this morning our new series on, on the book of John. So will you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for all you're doing, for all you've done, and for all you're going to do. And we ask, Lord, that you would guide us, that you would lead us. I pray that you would help me this morning to speak what's on your heart and to speak in the tone of voice that you would speak. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Tyler is going to read our scripture this morning. Tyler? Thank you. So John 1, 1 through 16. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the, wor and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you, Tyler. You can take that with you. When John wrote this book, there, was all, there were already three biographies of Jesus that had hit the bestseller list. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic gospels. There's a lot of overlap between them. And this particular biography of Jesus is significantly different, both in content and in pacing. John recounts a lot of events that aren't in the synoptic gospels, uh, and he also takes his time. His pacing is much different. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, who we're going to be uh, leaning on a lot, because he's a wonderful scholar, uh, he, he made this comparison. He said, in terms of pacing, the book of Mark especially, but the synoptic gospels are more like comic books, like it's miracle story, another miracle story, bam, bam. John is like looking at a Rembrandt, which is not quite as fast paced. <laughs> But you can look at it, and the longer you look, the more beautiful things you see in it, and the more meaning you find. It's a beautiful book. John takes his time on each story, and the more we read, the more we can see. This book is full of symbols. It's full of surprises. It's full of unexpected connections. The author, most scholars agree, is John the disciple, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, and in this book, he is called the disciple who Jesus loved. That's author's prerogative right there. You can call yourself whatever you wanted. That's pretty awesome. What a bold guy. Remember, he was one of the sons of thunder, so maybe that shouldn't surprise us. But John is very savvy with his words and with his word pictures. He really, truly knows his audience and so he drops these, these subtle cultural references all through the book, and we might just miss them, <laughs> or they might seem really mundane, or they might seem really strange, and we don't really know what he's getting at sometimes. 
I remember years ago, Jeff Starr and I were in Estes Park, um, Colorado, and we were helping to lead a, a retreat of a bunch of college students. And one of the speakers was this pastor from Denver. And man, he could preach. He was awesome. He was such a great communicator. And he kept going back and he kept dropping these little references to the Yankees and the Red Sox. He's a big Major League Baseball fan. I think he was a Red Sox fan, and he just kind of kept coming back here and talking about how much he hated the Yankees, and, and uh, it was really great. There was only one problem. All of his audience was foreign exchange students. <laughs> now, I know some of when they come to this country really want to do a deep dive on American baseball, but that's not most of the people. So all of his little references were lost on this group. Now... I, in a similar way, we, we, can, we can find ourselves, as we read books like John, feeling like foreign exchange students, and that's okay. This time, it's, it's nobody's fault. That time, it was definitely the speaker's fault. He should have adapted his material. I was shaking my head the whole time going, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> but this is nobody's fault. This just, we just so happen to be, you know, coming around way later. We are, uh, my goodness, you guys, we, the, the, the book of John was written in the first century, 2,000 years ago almost, in a small corner of the Roman Empire to a Middle Eastern people who spoke a very different language and whose culture would have been completely unrecognizable to ours. That's a lot to overcome. And, and, and so we can come, we can approach this, and we can feel a little bit like foreign exchange students, and that's Okay. That's why we're doing it together. You know, the Bible was meant to be read and studied together. And we have lots of resources at our disposal. We do our best to piece together what's actually going on. But I'm telling you, some of the stuff that he was saying made perfect sense to people who understood that culture and would have made them sit up. In fact, this part that we just read, this prologue, would have made their eyes bolt open. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We probably hear that almost on autopilot because we've read it many, many times probably if you've been in the church a while. But if you are a first century Jewish person and you've just gotten this letter, you're reading this and going, whoa, what are you doing, dude? What are you doing? This is clearly, he's mirroring something that's already very, very familiar to them and probably would be very familiar to all of us. What does this sound like? Book, book of Genesis, right? It sounds like the very first words of the scripture. You have in the beginning. You have God there in the beginning. You have light piercing the darkness in the beginning. You have all of that happening. But John he is not content to just make a parallel. John does something bold. He adds a dimension by introducing another figure, someone or something he calls the Word. He takes that creation story, that creation picture, and he says this Word is right there next to the Creator. He's just as important as the Creator. Here, he's, he's there actually creating. Whoever the word is, John says, he's both with God and he was God. Ugh. Wait, what? <laughs> this is why you guys have sometimes wondered why people were like, 
you know, recommend that people read the book of John when they first meet Jesus. I'm like, dude, go to Mark or Luke. Like, John, it's like he throws you in the deep end of this pool. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, you're giving me the doctrine of the Trinity, like, in the first three verses? Like, whoa. Like, that is already the most mind-boggling part of Christian theology. <laughs> but there he is. He's throwing us in the deep end. The Word is Jesus Christ. He's the hero of this book. He is both with God and he is God. You feeling like a foreign exchange student yet? This is not a shallow book. John is teaching us some really, really deep things right away. Now here's a question you might be having. Why is he saying, why is he calling him the word? Is that a weird thing? Have you ever thought about that? Like, it's very poetic, but why is he saying the word? Especially because in American Christianity, when we say the word, what are we usually talking about? The Bible. Isn't that interesting? John's not talking about the Bible. John says, guys, the word, the word is Jesus. And sometimes I, I think we need, to, we need to like, oh, remember that. Wait, let's go back. Wait, wait. We don't actually worship the Bible. <laughs> the Bible points to Jesus. That's why the Bible is beautiful and so, so very valuable because it points to Christ. But Jesus is the word. You get that? Are you in the word? Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, that's too much. I'm going to keep going. It's too much. Sorry. Too soon? Too soon? Are you in the word? Is the word in you? Anyway, why is he using that phrase? Well, remember, he's writing in Greek, right? This culture is very, very savvy with the Greek language and also with Greek philosophy. And in Greek philosophy, there was this term word, which the, the word in Greek is logos. And the logos had all kinds of hidden uh, uh, meaning. Uh, it, see, back then, people, they, they understood there was something, an unseen force in the universe, like some sort of mystical order, the unseen purpose. And, and people knew there's something behind the veil of creation that, that makes things move, that makes time move forward and all these things. And they, they said, that's the logos. It's kind of similar to the way some people use the word universe. The universe showed me this, right? The universe brought me my boyfriend, you know, or whatever. It's sort of similar. The logos, it's out there. And John, being very culturally savvy, says this. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. And he goes on to tell about the Logos. And he says to them, all this time they've been assuming, see, they've been assuming that the Logos was something impersonal. And John says, no, in the beginning was the Logos and he had a face. And I saw him. He had a face and he had skin and his name was Jesus, and I saw him. In fact, I shook his hands. Further than that, I dined at his table, and I laid my head against him. The Logos was personal. The creator at my table. And he says, we beheld his glory. I beheld his glory. I was thinking, you know, it's easy to, to think of Jesus as that kind and generous teacher. It's a little harder to see him as, as what John is suggesting here, as the one who makes the world spin. 
In him we live and move and have our being. Every breath begins, every breath is a gift from him, from the logos. That's who we're talking about here. That's who John is introducing us to. This teacher, oh yeah, he makes the world spin. That kind of power, that's the kind of greatness of this, of this main character he's introducing us to. Now, like we said, Jesus gets compared to, to many different concepts and images. He gets lots of different titles all the way throughout this book, even through this first chapter. So that first one is the Logos. But right away, he gives us another picture. Let's go to John 1, verse 6 through 9. Tyler read this, but let's look at it again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light. He's not only the logos, he's the light. Now light is a common metaphor throughout scripture and we we get it right in the beginning of Genesis. We get it all the way through the Psalms. We get it through the prophets. It's all over the place. Light shining in darkness. Oftentimes that, that symbolizes truth shining into lies or shining to ignorance or shining into false conceptions. The bursting forth of reality into chaos. And I was thinking about light. You know what it does? Light makes sense of the landscape around us. Do you remember when you were a kid and the monster would come at night? Not, not the actual monsters like Joshua was talking about a couple weeks ago, but just the ones that would be, you know, like you go, the, the lights go off, you close your eyes, you open them, and you're like, oh, there's this like tall, lanky monster in the shadows right next to your door. And you're like, ah, and you want to get up and turn the light on and run away, but it's too scary, so you call, mom! And mom comes in, what is it, sweetie? She flips on the light. And you're like, it's a coat rack. It's a coat rack. It's a coat rack. And you're like, why did I hang my black trench coat on the coat rack? What was I thinking? And why is there a hockey mask on top of it? We don't even play hockey. I have no idea who went to St. Vinny's to pick this up. It's a very cruel joke. But the light comes on and it makes sense of the landscape, the things that were draped in shadow, the things that we did not understand, the things that, fear, that we feared, all of those things come and we can see and understand when the light turns on. That's what happens. It makes sense of the landscape. Jesus is like that. You remember when he talked to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? When they were like, oh, now we see, because at first they didn't see. They didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize what had been going on in the scriptures or what he had done. And suddenly, boom, the light comes on for them. And they're like, oh, and he's like, yeah, boop, and he disappears. <laughs> the light comes on. Jesus is like that for the whole world. When he came, all sorts of things made sense. All that talk in the Hebrew scriptures of a coming kingdom and a coming king, suddenly it makes sense. Even things we couldn't describe as, as human beings, we couldn't describe with our hearts, even longings that we might have felt, longings to be loved by God, longings that can feel so distant at times. So suddenly it made sense in Jesus, the love of the Father was suddenly revealed in a flesh and blood man. 
And he demonstrated what love was by, by laying down his life. And what about even that act of redemption? That act of redemption, that, that distant promise that was only hinted at in, in creation, all over creation, the changing of seasons. Think about the dying of leaves in the winter. Think about the trees going dormant. And then suddenly there's resurrection of flowers and the trees burst forth and we see life all around us. The world always knew it meant something, you know? Enter Jesus, dying and resurrecting, giving the world new life. The light flips on, the landscape becomes visible. Now we see because the true light is shining on us. Guys, it all whispered of Jesus. Nature is always whispering of Jesus. And through him, we see. We make sense of our inner landscapes. I think this is probably what St. Jack, uh, that's C.S. Lewis, who aren't on there. St. Jack. Did you know he wanted to be called Jack his whole life? Did you know that? Maybe you did. Okay. Maybe you, none of you care this morning about that little nerdy tidbit. He didn't want to be called Clive because he didn't like the name. I think Jack is also a much better name. I see you, buddy. All right. Here's what St. Here's what Jack said. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's who Christ is. Through Christ we see everything else. He is the light. So John says he's the logos. He's the light. And he gives us one other picture here. He's the lamb. John goes on to talk about the other John, John the Baptist, who, spoiler alert, was not Baptist. He's been called John the Baptizer, which I think makes more sense. I, I, think, <laughs> I always think of the dress code. I'm like, would he have? Anyway. <laughs> he says, <laughs> he goes, uh, he was out in the wilderness preaching about the coming Messiah. He was so popular across the board that a lot of people thought he was the Messiah. And he said, no, I'm just preparing the way for him. He'd pick it up in verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. What is he talking about? Well, this could be easy once again as foreign exchange students for that to be a strange term unless you've been around uh, uh, church for a bit and might know what he's referring to. Because if you were Jewish in the first century, you would have immediately heard this and thought of the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb. The Passover was probably the most formative event in the history of Israel. The moment that they came out of slavery the moment they were able to step into freedom 
And everybody knew the story already. They knew that, that they didn't win their own freedom. They knew their freedom had been a gift from God. It didn't happen through the strength of men. There was no taking up of arms and revolt against Egypt. It didn't happen through a political movement. There was no election of a new pharaoh. There was nothing like that. Their freedom came through the blood of a lamb painted over their doorways. And in the same way, John sees Jesus and says, Behold the Passover lamb. Behold the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, just as our people, John's saying, were, were set free by the sacrifice of a lamb, so this man, this Jesus, will set us all free from a different kind of slavery. He'll lay his life down, and through his blood, we will all be free. Now, this wasn't a popular metaphor as Jesus' plans unfolded. Remember, people, they don't want a lamb. They wanted a hero. They wanted, they wanted David 2.0, you know? They want Moses except with a, with a big spear instead of a, you know? They, they, they wanted the armies. They wanted these things, and Jesus is like, no, that's not what I'm doing. He came as a lamb. He came as a lamb. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save it. To take the sins of the world on himself and to die. Now, I know he's also the Logos. He's also the most powerful being in all of existence. But see, this is the beauty of what he did in becoming the lamb and putting that power away. Because the goal of the kingdom never was power. And so he gives that away. And he sacrifices for us. He is the logos. He is the light. He is the lamb. Three pictures that John gives us just in the first part of his first chapter. Logos, light, and lamb. I'm going to do something for a moment. I just want to take, let's take a moment of stillness. And I just want to ask you, which one of those titles does your to your heart gravitate toward? Let's just take a moment and ask that question of our own hearts. I don't know if any of you felt a stirring towards any one of them, or maybe against one of them. Maybe sometimes you recoil a little bit at some, something you see in Scripture. I want to encourage you, don't get down on yourself about that. Usually there's a reason. There's something stirring up inside. And as I asked myself this question just now, 30 seconds ago, I don't know, Logos just came. I'm like, oh, man, maybe, maybe I need to do some digging there. Maybe I need to do some digging there. Here's what I want to encourage you. We're starting a whole series here to talk uh, through this book 
And we're going to be we're going to be taking our time on these daily devotionals. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff here, uh, preaching every Sunday until we get to the end. I want to encourage you: take it slowly. And as you're doing it, take notes and come back and ask yourself those kinds of questions. As we see all these different pictures of Jesus, as we seek to know Him in some new ways. Sometimes our hearts lean towards something and we're not sure why that is. And I think it's a really great idea to just slow down and just invite the presence of God to clarify them. I want to conclude here by by zooming out just a little bit. Um, We've we've talked about this uh, a bit already, but we're going to be paying lots of attention um, to Jesus and the different titles of it as we we, uh, preach through this book. Um, there are so many other names given to Jesus of Nazareth, so many other metaphors and word pictures that John uh, says, he says, he is like this, and he is like this, all the way through. Like, that's what John's doing. He's giving us all these deep, slow glimpses of who Jesus is. And we just need to take our time, like we're staring at a Rembrandt, and absorb them. Absorb them and say, what does this mean for me today? How, how, how should this be changing me? How can this be changing me? What's the invitation God's giving? For example, as we preach through this book, we're going to find that he's often called the Son of God. What does that mean? That he's called, or uh, uh, by, by way of metaphor, the new wine. That he's the bread of life. That he's the Christ. He's the good shepherd. He's the door. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. He's the king. He's the resurrection and the life and many other pictures. And we're going to get a chance to to go slowly as we take these things in. Now, like I said, we're going to be talking about these on Sundays, and we have these daily audio podcasts. Amy, can you pull that up? If you haven't uh, subscribed yet, um, here we go. These actually start tomorrow morning. Um, and uh, they're going to be there for you when you wake up in the morning, both on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, also on our Facebook community page, not on our public page, because this isn't for the public, this is for you guys. Uh, if the public wants to listen, they can, but we're, we're creating this for you guys, um, for, for us, for one another. And um, so that'll be up on there as well. And you can read it if you, uh, if you prefer to read it instead of listen. That'll be up there as well. It'll also even be coming from our YouTube page later in the day every day. So we're doing this a lot of different ways. Um, but you can scan one of those QR codes if you're a podcast listener. I really want to ask you to join us on this journey. Because what we're going to be doing is every day reading through another segment of the book. And uh, by, the, you know, by the end of the week, that will cover that, the passage that we just preached on. So we're going to be preaching and reading through uh, together. And every day, you hear not only the reading, but uh, a small devotional based on the reading that day. The pastoral staff isn't doing this alone. There's a lot from this congregation that are helping and writing their uh, own devotionals. And you'll hear lots of other people from the congregation reading scriptures as well. So this is a real family affair here. So I want to ask you to join us on this thing. And so we can read through the whole book together if you prefer to open up your your Bible and read as you're listening or just listen. Either way, it's fine. But let's do this together. And let's let's take some time to explore uh, who Jesus is. Um, Because he's 
He's, he's so much more, you guys. He's, he's logos, he's light, and he's lamb, but he's so much more. At the end of the, of the book, in chapter 20, John tells us exactly why he wrote it. John has a little note to the reader in chapter 20, and here's his note to the reader. Now, Jesus did many, this is uh, chapter 20, verse 30, uh, 30, yeah. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Isn't that beautiful? That's John's purpose statement. That's John's note to the reader. This is why he wrote this book, so that all may believe and have life. And friends, that's why we're reading this together, and I want to urge you to read it with us and explore together. Um, and, I, and while we're reading it, I want to also urge you not to take this idea of belief in the modern Western way. You see, we've separated mind from the rest of our life, and so we've had this idea that you can believe a thing without actually living like you believe it. And sometimes belief is just this sort of intellectual idea that we like say yes, like check a box to. Like, do you believe Alexander the Great was from Macedonia? Yes. <laughs> okay. Like, that's a thing. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God and died and was rose again? Well, yeah, because, you know, that's what the Bible says, so sure. But do you really believe? Because that's not how they would have evaluated such a question back then. They wouldn't have said, oh, you intellectually agree to a statement. No, no, the question was, do you believe? Is he a part of your life? Who is Jesus to you if he's only historical fact? That's not enough. That's not enough. I want to tell you guys, it's not enough. To, we can't reduce Jesus down to a guy who did a thing one time so that we could go to a place. That's a tragic reduction of the gospel. It's not a small thing like that. Belief to this audience in the first century was about believing with your whole life. They would know how you believed by looking at your life, not by which options you chose in a game of trivial pursuit. And if we've believed in the trivial sense, well, I have some bad news for you, but I also have some good news. I'll give you the bad news first, okay? Here's the bad news first. If you've settled for something so very small, uh, that's, you know, that's bad news. Jesus is more than your personal savior. I wish that we had never used that term. I wish that it had never become such a prominent term in our circles. Yes, I know he's savior, and yes, I know he's personal, but he's not your personal savior like your personal digital assistant. He's the savior of the whole world. He's something so much bigger than our personal savior. He's the logos who spoke the world into existence. He's the light by which we understand. He's the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. He's the Lord, and we don't have the option to skip those things and just check the one that says personal Savior so we can go to heaven when we die. I do not believe that's ever an option that we were given in Scripture. Now, here's the good news. That was the bad news. <laughs> here's the good news. We have the glorious opportunity to embrace Jesus for who he really is. This is our invitation. We have the glorious opportunity to invite him to fill all our lives, to be formed in him and to have him be formed in us. 
Not just in our minds that we believe that he was here as a historical fact, but that he fills us and he affects how we speak to one another, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we think, how we look on the lowly, how we love the people in our lives, and how we worship the Father. This is what we have been called to. This is what it means to embrace Jesus, to invite him in, is not to just take a little, little corner of my intellectual understanding, it's to take all of us. Christ being formed in us, this is the goal, friends. This is the goal. This is why he came, so that we might know him, so we might have life in him. This thing called Christianity is about the spirit of God forming Christ in us, that ultimately we, we might learn to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, just as Jesus did. Not by the world's definition, but as he did. He's more, you guys. Whoever you think he is, he's more. He's more. 